0: so our scripture from today is one that you um, might know very well and so uh, as it is with scriptures that we know well I invite you to um, try to uh, see it with new eyes and hear it with new ears this morning so this comes from the prophet Jeremiah this is chapter 29 verse 11 for surely I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Let us say thanks be to God. So I'm David, I'm one of the pastors here and I'm glad that that question was thrown out about um, where did you share, or how did you share God's love this week? Um, because I think that we are um, suburban Protestants and we have not been taught throughout most of our religious life to really claim things for ourselves or be proud of us for ourselves. We're often taught humility and then. We are just uh, small in comparison with what God is doing, and I want you to brag a little bit. uh, Whether it's online or in your own heart or whether you share that with somebody else, brag a little bit because it's, it's important to recognize and realize that we are part, if not an integral part, of what God is doing here. So if you don't want to brag on yourself, brag on what God is doing through you so that you recognize What it is that you are doing to share God's love in one way or another. And as I get to the end, just reminding, like, you stopping at a stop sign so that the person pulling up to the stop sign with you is loved by the fact that they can trust you and not hitting them. So even small things about that are following rules, sharing God's love in a way that we're loving our neighbor as we would love ourselves. I want you to brag on yourself, post it in the comments. um, Recognize that because we all play a part in what God is doing on this earth. That's what this sermon series, Why Are You Here?, has been about. You matter, you have a purpose, you are part, you are trusted, in fact, to be God's agents here on this earth. We all have a calling. Um, And so 19 years, not 19 years ago, but when I was 19 years old, um, I sat uh, at Bridgeport. Camp Bridgeport is a United Methodist conference camp in Bridgeport, Texas, that I had grown up with, and I was a counselor going back, working with some middle school kids. And I'm sitting at Vesper Point. And Vesper Point is where all the emotional things happen in worship at Camp Bridgeport. Because you're looking out over Lake Bridgeport, the sun is setting. It's gleaming on the water. You've got this cross that was struck by lightning years ago. It's been re-put back together as a sign of resurrection. And it's silhouetted against the sunset. And we've just had that last night of camp worship. And if you've ever been to the last night of camp, it's one of those things where it's already powerful in itself, the Holy Spirit is moving, and then we kind of do some manipulative things to make the Holy Spirit move, and people cry all the time, and, um, but it's back when, you know, we used to have counselors, um, really intelligent, astute people like me, who was, you know, just finished freshman year of college and knew everything about God, um, sitting around, you know, we're standing around the, the benches, and, and campers come up to us and ask for advice and pray with us, and of course, we give them all sorts of wonderful knowledge, and we all pray together and cry together it's this moving experience and so after that night uh, four of us are sitting on the top bench at vesper point our co-counselors had taken our campers down for the ice cream event down at kiker hall down the hill and uh two guys me and a woman named jillian and and we're just talking about how the spirit is flowing and how it was so amazing and this great experience and the two guys are talking about how they'd seen god work in these campers and how people had come out of their shell and how people had accepted Christ and all these wonderful things that had happened um, in the camp. And, and Jillian said, Y'all, tonight I felt it. I am called to go into the ordained ministry. And the two guys are like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And they're you know, clapping her on the back. And my profound initial response was, Why would anyone want to do that? But it was in that moment, as soon as I said it, I don't know if I heard God's voice as much as I felt God's voice say, yes, you will. Now, that's the story when people say, well, how are you called into ministry? How did you know this was something you were supposed to do? I tell that story and it's this incredibly powerful, awe-inspiring story. And, and people are amazed to say, oh my gosh, you heard God's voice. Um, and, and as powerful as that moment is, it's also equally frustrating. As well, because their, their second reaction is, I wish it was me. And if we look at human nature, I just invite you to consider your response when you're, you turn on the news and the Powerball numbers come on. Or you hear the report of somebody won $64 million in Powerball. Is our initial response, oh my gosh, I'm so happy for them. Or is our initial response, why wasn't it me? I bought my ticket, I'm ready to go. Why, would it, why was it not me? And it doesn't even have to be anything as expansive or extreme as Powerball and millions of dollars, it could be your social media post from spring break. As you're scrolling through and you see people skiing and see people at the beach, right, is your initial response, oh that looks beautiful, I'm so happy that they were blessed with that experience, or is your initial response, I'm stuck at home. I wish it was me. So let me add some context to the story I told earlier. When I was called into ministry, um, it didn't just happen at Camp Bridgeport. In fact, the first time I was called into ministry was in the sanctuary, or right outside the sanctuary, First Methodist Church, Allen. I had just given uh, one, of a th- one part of a three-part sermon on Youth Sunday, and uh, our associate pastor, Anna Hosman Butler, uh, chased me down afterwards. She chased me down, and she grabbed me, and she was like, oh my gosh, David, you need to be a preacher when you grow up. And I had another profound moment, because as much as I love Anna, and I respect Anna, and she's somebody who really, I would not be here without Anna Hoseman-Butler, my profound response to her was to look her straight in the eyes and say, y'all really don't make a lot of money, do you? That was the first time. The second time, I, I, you know, I didn't listen to her. And I don't know why I didn't listen to her, but I didn't listen to her. And I went on to college, and I was pre-med, and... Uh, really enjoying that, but I got involved in the United Methodist Campus Ministry at TCU, and so involved so much that at the end of the first semester of my freshman year, the upperclassmen asked me if I would join them to be a peer minister, which is somebody who managed the uh, different nuances of the ministry there, so fellowship or missions or worship or whatever, And, and so they picked me, and I was so delighted and so honored to do this, so went to the campus minister's house, and we're divvying up responsibilities of uh what area i'm going to lead come the spring and it worked in a hierarchy form so the most the senior uh, people got to choose their areas first so fellowship fun events missions kind of all went off the table first and and as it gets to me the campus minister looks at me and says well david i am so excited you get worship because no one else wanted to lead worship and my profound my profound response was oh my gosh why would anybody want to lead this And it turned out to be fantastic and i got to spend every week with brian as we planned out worship for uh, we did it once a month at that point and and got to uh create these meditative prayerful experiences as well as this walking outdoor worship and we started a band and eventually grew to uh, so much that we had to do two worships a month and it was this incredibly affirming experience that this was something that i really should be doing but guess what i did with that nothing so you know as i'm going into my spring semester senior pastor at first allen calls me and says david we're We're having a youth ministry intern for the first time ever uh, at Allen, and we want you to be the youth ministry intern because we think that you are gifted in this, and we think that you would do a great job, and we want you to take the job. And I was thinking, oh, this is great. How much does it pay? And they said, not a lot, but your parents will be really excited. And I said, okay, well, we'll do that. Um, So that was number three. Number four was actually in a monastery in Tizay, France the week before Bridgeport because that's what you do when you're a college freshman is you go to a monastery during the summer. Um, uh, That was number four. Bridgeport was number five. And guess my response to number five? Nothing. I went home. I went back sophomore year, continued in organic chem and pre-med, biology, all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't until sophomore year ended and I go back and I'm just, you know what, for whatever reason, I feel this still voice that says you should volunteer with middle school Sunday school because again, as a college sophomore, that's what you do. And I volunteer on Sunday morning with the middle school Sunday school over at First Methodist Allen. I'm in the fellowship hall and we're doing this little lesson about teamwork and the gifts of the Spirit working together and how we're all uniquely gifted and uniquely called to work to get from point A to point B and sometime in the midst of watching middle schoolers learn to get from point A to point B, I realized I was the most at peace that I had ever been in my entire life. So number six, I get in my car the next day and I drive over to TCU and I meet my advisor and I change my major to religion because I knew I finally had to do something. That's my story. And some people will hear that and say, Well, what took you so long? You must be really dense. A, true, right? Um, some people will hear that story and say, I wish I had that. I wish I knew where my calling was. I wish I knew where my point was. And some people have this really unique story of hearing God's voice. Some people have this unique story of the community calling you into this uh, unique ministry setting or this unique setting, even in the world, unique calling in the world. A lot of people don't. Most people I know don't have this mountaintop experience or this unique calling and and sometimes that is because we let our doubts get in the way and sometimes that is we let our fears get in the way. Sometimes we're so stuck in what's comfortable that we're afraid to go into what is meaningful. Sometimes there are just other things, other priorities that we have to where we're not listening but but also we just misunderstand what calling is and what calling means. In this world and so kind of helping through jeremiah or looking through jeremiah there's four ways to kind of decipher what it is that we are called to both you as an individual as well as us as a community and so the first one is to understand general versus specific we have a very individualistic culture about where do i benefit from this how am i benefiting from being part of this church this school this organization how does it benefit me I think about even the covid procedures in this kind of liminal space now between vaccinated and unvaccinated we still have our COVID procedures in place because there are more unvaccinated people than there are vaccinated but i know when i got my first shot there was something that changed where all of a sudden i wasn't on guard anymore because it didn't affect me as much anymore right we have things set in place so everybody can prosper everybody can have a future with hope as opposed to just thinking about me and and one of the things about jeremiah twenty nine eleven that you need to know is it's not about you jeremiah twenty nine eleven comes in the section of jeremiah that is written to consolidate or to, to uh, console and provide compassion and hope for an entire body of israel that has been exiled out of israel into babylon and they are questioning what their identity and meaning and purpose is. They're questioning, should we assimilate to be Babylonians? We should bide our time? Should we actively resist, like POWs who have been taken away? This is written to an entire group of people in the second part of Jeremiah. It's not about you. It's about us. So one of the things to understand about calling is that it's not always just specifically about you. In fact life God is not specifically just about you even as God loves you and knows you and you matter and you have a purpose we often want God to be specifically about us and God is about the world the universe the creation all of it all put together and so when we're thinking about calling you might not have a specific mountaintop guided map pointed experience to what you are called to do but it doesn't mean that you aren't called Matthew 28 at the end of Matthew Jesus says go and proclaim the gospel to the end of the earth, baptizing in the name of God the Father, Holy Spirit, uh, Son and Holy Spirit, right? That's for every one of those 12 disciples, including us today. James 1 says the true religion is uh, taking care of the widows and the orphans. That's not just for the writers, the people reading James. That's for us today. So there is a multitude of ordinances and commands and suggestions and advice and just general holiness, right, to love your neighbor as yourself, that's not just for the people listening to the Sermon on the Mount, that is for all of us. So even if you are not part of the group that has had this divine encounter where you heard God speak, you are every bit as called as any of those people are to do all the things the Bible asks us to do, all the examples of Jesus Christ. And that is every bit as important As anybody who's heard anything specific. So I want you to know that, is that every time you walk, every time you talk, every time you are, every time you are just being, you are living in this calling that is general for all of God's children to build God's kingdom here in this world. So you are unique in that way with everybody else. And so the second thing about understanding general versus specific is that calling comes in different ways. Um, Jeremiah is not called in Jeremiah 29 11 as much as we post that all over door frames and everything. Jeremiah is called back in Jeremiah chapter 1 where God does speak directly to Jeremiah and says here you are a prophet in training under uh, under Zephaniah. You need to go write to these people in Israel. Give them the first part of Jeremiah. You messed up judgment, condemnation. You need to make sure that you are on the right path. That is part of a calling. Second part of Jeremiah Consolation, compassion, there's a future and a hope. God never gives up on you, right? So bringing people back in. Jeremiah is specifically called with this message to the specific place. And when Jeremiah hears this voice, you know, he says, but I'm just a boy. I can't do this. They're never going to listen to me. And, and God says, it doesn't matter how old or young you are. Your calling doesn't come necessarily straight out of college. It doesn't come when you're in high school. It could come when you're 80. It could come when you're 60. It could come when you're five years old. Callings doesn't matter about your age it comes in different ways It comes from different places calling is just when you see god move feel god move experience a time in which you can move for god as well And i point you to stephen in acts chapter six stephen is the first deacon of the church he's someone who's called to be the hands and feet of Uh, of compassion ministries and mercy ministries and mission ministries and justice ministries in the world because the apostles were getting so busy with widows and orphans that they were forgetting to lead church and to preach the gospel so stephen doesn't have any kind of divine encounter with a burning bush stephen's asked by the church to volunteer for children's sunday school or serve at habitat building or or go on a zoe trip or, or go over to harper elementary stephen's calling comes from the church And so every time that you get a phone call that says, hey, you know, we really think you'd be great working with Youth Ministries. We really think you'd be great at organizing this committee. Every time we're on stage and Pastor Carrie Lynn says, hey, you know what, we really need someone to uh, be uh, the open door community to welcome our guests and and know that they are loved, right? That's a calling. That's an invitation to join into God's uh, ministry that is going on to create God's vision for this world. And so... There are many different types of calling, and I would even point you to someone like Nathan, who's the prophet that encounters David, or Daniel, who's in Babylon, who have a specific calling for a specific moment. They are both in their places of work. Daniel's on the executive training program in Babylon, and Nathan is the core prophet for David. And in that moment where David needs to be corrected and encouraged, and in that moment where Daniel needs to be the example of faithfulness in the midst of Babylon, They are called to action in that moment. Esther is called in the moment to stand up for the Jewish people in the face of certain death and certain persecution, right? We don't know anything about Esther's rest of the story. We don't know much about before, except for that she was really pretty. But in that moment, she was brave, and she was courageous, and she was faithful. And so she was called for that moment. And sometimes calling is for a moment. In our workplaces, in our schools, sometimes it's just the opportunity that we see to go and be God's hands and feet for that moment. So there's lots of different ways in calling. The only way we tend to advertise is the mountaintop experience. That is the least common calling that you will ever have. So the third thing is, is consistency is key. When Jeremiah is called, that first part where he is a prophet, he is speaking truth to people who are in power, who are oppressing other people who don't have power, that fits along with everything you see out of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy with the law. Go read the Hebrew law and see how it uh, tries to level the playing field and and bring people up from poverty and other things. So that's confirmed because it's consistent with what the law says. That part, the second part in Jeremiah, where he is called to go and console Israel, which is hurting, go back to Exodus, and you'll see a God who is constantly reaching out and consoling people and bringing them out of oppression and bringing them out of pain. So when we're called, it jives with what we know about God. And I would specify, for us today, it jives with what we know about God through Jesus. Jesus, we believe, is the incarnation of God, the, the life that Jesus the life that God would choose to live on earth. And I make that clarification. Because if anybody is sitting here and you leave and you think, you know what, I am called to go slaughter every man, woman, child in Jericho tomorrow, I have pastoral counseling appointments available tomorrow for you. Um, and we wrestle with that story, right? We wrestle with the story of that violence and whether it was divine or redemptive violence or whether it was simply a misunderstanding of what God was calling them to do. Because Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, pray for your enemy. Jesus says, turn the other cheek, right? So. Um, we look at at confirmation of what we know about God, especially through Jesus. We also look for confirmation as to whether it jives with those spiritual gifts listed in Romans and Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, Uh, even the fruits of the Spirit that are listed out there, because callings will uh, activate those spiritual gifts that we have, the way that we can be the body of Christ. And those gifts were not given so that you would be special. 1 Corinthians 12 is all about how those gifts don't make you special. They... It is all about how that gift uplifts the community. Because calling, calling is not meant to make you happy. Calling is not about you. Calling is meant to make the community better. And so it will activate the spiritual. So we look for confirmation and that it, it jives with what we know about God through Jesus Christ. It jives with what our spiritual gifts are. And the other thing is, is a calling, as Jeremiah 29 11 says, helps bring a hope with a future and a promise. Now, I love playing basketball. I'm not as good as most people are, but say you love playing basketball, right? Basketball brings me a lot of joy, and I would say that going on on the court brings me a lot of passion, And, and there are some people who would say, you know what? Basketball is my life, right? You make the NBA, you say, basketball is my life. I eat, breathe, I drink, I sleep basketball, but if that's Something that is only about you and either the money you can make or the joy you get from doing it—that's not a calling from God. That's just a hobby. That's leisure time. That's something you really enjoy to do. Callings will bring a hope and a future. Callings make the community better. And so the fourth one here is Frederick Buechner. is a—he was a pastor, became a prolific author in France, and um, has this famous quote about callings. It says, "Your." Calling is where your passion meets the world's needs. And so this is, again, about, you know, whether we hear God's voice or not. Because one of the things I would say about basketball is I am passionate about it. And and I was able in the past to lead camps for young people and reach them with the gospel or just be a positive role model through basketball. And I've seen other people do this great. Or people use their, their role as an athlete to speak up out in the world. Or they use their gifts, their passions, their abilities to... Uh, bring something better to their community it's not just about their own joy but they use what they're passionate about to meet the world's needs and this again goes to that general sense of calling that it doesn't need to be God bashing you over the head for the fifth time telling you to go into ministry especially in a church context calling can simply be what makes you come alive and how do I use that in the general context of God's calling of God's general calling for us That's the question I would ask you is, what makes you come alive? And let me also preface, it doesn't need to be your work. Your calling and your career can be two very different things. In fact, when you start putting a a paycheck and a price tag on your calling, it can diminish your calling at times. Uh, I know a gentleman who's working with men going through addiction. And his ministry has blossomed and bloomed. And he's so great in the weeds with coaching and counseling these men to be strong and faithful and overcome for their family's sake and for their own personal sake. Um, And he's thinking, you know, maybe this should be my career. But then he starts talking about how much fundraising he would have to do in order to truly live in this ministry. And you can see the upper echelons of joy and passion that he has for reaching people with the joy of Christ in the counseling and in the weed section and you see his mood get so deflated when he starts talking about fundraising And, and maybe that's not his role in the organization maybe that's not his gift maybe that's not what he's passionate about but the moment he turns his passion into a career his calling into a career you have to wrestle with well how much am I doing it for myself and my paycheck and how much am I doing it to build God's kingdom up so the better question to ask is what are you passionate about And where can that meet the needs that god has prescribed for the world because there are people who have specific callings but everybody can follow a calling in a specific way everybody has heard the message of god everybody's been invited or at least the people i'm guessing here have been invited into the calling of god and you if you're not familiar with that if you're not familiar with how god wants us to treat each other and 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 love each other then i would love to speak more about it or i'd love for you to Uh, come to church often or join a study or something to uh, gather that knowledge to know that everything that we see about God in scripture well most of the time that's somebody who's just willing to say yes willing to say yes to put their passion at work for the world and good their passion at work for what God needs and so what makes you come alive what is it that you can offer the world that God says it needs there, you're going to find where joy is. There, you're going to find where purpose is. It's not the other way around. You don't look for your purpose and then activate. It's you try something out and then you find your purpose there. So, what brings you alive? Where can you spread the gospel? Where can you live the gospel? Where can you share God's love? And there's your calling. Let's pray. Christ, God, we invite your spirit to come anew upon us as we remember that we are yours, we are chosen, that we matter, and that you have set us free from sin and death to show the world your love. And so, God, where we are passionate, may we turn that into uh, your passion, your love for the world, so that all might be set free and all might have a chance to live out your love. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.